scripture reading this morning is from the fourth chapter of Hebrews, verses 12 and 13. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Do you know what tomorrow is? It's Halloween. Halloween. Growing up, Halloween was one of my all-time holidays. I loved Halloween as a kid. I loved it more than Christmas, to be honest, which sounds crazy because on Christmas you get gifts, but on Halloween you get candy. Now, I did not love Halloween because of candy. I'm kind of picky about my candy. I'm really, I'm really only interested in the chocolate candies. Give me my Kit Kats, give me my Reese's, give me my Hershey bars. I don't care about the hard candies. I don't care about the bubble gum. I don't care about the healthy candies. I want Reese's. I want Kit Kats. I want Hershey bars. So growing up in the 80s, went and got their candy at Walmart, and they'd get those bulk bags of the hard candy that's not any good. And that's all I would get in my little bucket. So I didn't really care about the candy. You know, I... There, there were other factors associated with Halloween that I really don't care about either. I, 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 I don't care about fright. I don't care about being scared. I don't care about that aspect of Halloween. I have never nor plan to ever go to a haunted house, a haunted forest, a haunted trail, or any other haunted facility because that has no interest to me. I have no reason, no need for, no desire for intentionally scaring myself. I can do that on a day-to-day basis alone. I don't need help with it. So I've never cared about frightening myself. The primary reason Halloween was one of my favorite holidays it's because I could be anything I wanted to be that night. You know, I don't remember all the characters I portrayed growing up, but I loved the fact that I could put on a mask, I could put on a costume, and I could become somebody or something else. What I do know is that at one point in time, I was made into a clown. I had no choice on this one. I was Spider-Man once, but the costumes have gotten a lot better since then. And let's be honest, those of you who are adults, our kids are never going to appreciate the smell of that mask with the rubber band around your head. They're not going to appreciate what that toxic fume did to you growing up. I was Spider-Man. I was a pirate. That's when I started the beard. I didn't have a choice on this next one, but apparently one year I was the Fonz. And as I got a little bit older, uh, I think the, one of the last times I ever did a costume, I was one of the Blues Brothers. But throughout my life, I had the opportunity to be different characters. I, I enjoyed that. It was always fun for me to portray somebody or something else for a night. And while that's all well and good, 
that, that, that it's fine for children to put on a costume and to put on a mask and to portray something or someone else for a night. We must be careful not to let masks become a part of our spiritual lives. Because when we figurative mask, what we're really trying to do is hide. Is that hiding has been a practice of mankind since the beginning of time. The Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden when they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. If you skip ahead to the book of Jonah, to Jonah chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, you find out that when God called Jonah to go to Nineveh and call out against it, the prophet chose to flee to Tarshish, to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. According to Mark chapter 5, verse 5 through 34, you read the story about a woman who had a hemorrhaging problem. And she attempted to hide from Jesus while simultaneously being healed by him. She did this by secretly touching his clothes while he was surrounded by a crowd of people. See, hiding has been a part of mankind's spiritual repertoire for quite some time. And while the Bible clearly teaches that that's one of our practices, it also teaches that God always wins at hide-and-seek. Despite Adam and Eve's best efforts to hide from God, God found them and doled out the consequence of their sin of eating the forbidden fruit. Despite Jonah's best efforts to escape from God, God, the ship Jonah was on, threatened to break up, thus forcing Jonah to be hurled into the sea and swallowed by a great fish. And despite that hemorrhaging woman's best efforts to remain unnoticed by Jesus, Jesus perceived that power had gone out from him and looked around to see who had touched his garments. See, God always wins at hide-and-seek. Biblical truth for us to wrap our minds around. Because all too often, we try to go through this life with masks on. And what I want to do today, very quickly, is consider the mask some of us are wearing right now. As well as what the Bible really says about wearing masks. So consider with me, if you're wearing any of these five masks, the first of which is the mask of ignorance. This is the mask Cain wore when after killing his brother, the Lord asked him, Where is Abel, your brother? And Cain responded by saying, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain pretended to be innocent. Cain acted like he didn't know what God was talking about. Cain was wearing the mask of ignorance in an attempt to hide his guilt. This is the same mask that Judas was wearing at the Last Supper. He had already negotiated with the chief priest for Jesus' capture, and then he goes to the Last Supper to celebrate Passover with the Lord. And moment, in that meal, Jesus says that twelve are going to betray him, and all of them start asking, is it I? And if you look at Matthew chapter 26 and verse 25, Judas asked, is it I? rabbi. Judas was pretending to be innocent. 
Judas acted like he didn't know what Jesus was talking about. Judas was wearing the mask of ignorance in an attempt to hide his guilt. This is the, I don't know what you're talking about mask. This is the mask we wear when we're trying to feign innocence. It's the mask we put on when we're trying to hide our mistakes or our poor decisions or even our sins. And it's the mask that some of us are wearing today because we don't want our guilt exposed. But it's not the only mask that some of us are wearing today because some of us are wearing the mask of ineptitude. This is the mask Moses was wearing when the Lord appeared to him at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3 and 4. God specifically told Moses in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 10, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people out of Egypt. But upon hearing God's call, Moses immediately started trying to wiggle out of the responsibility by offering excuse after excuse after excuse. He cited his inferiority in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 11, saying, who, who, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? He cited his lack of knowledge when in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 13 he said, If I come to the people and they ask me, what is your name? What shall I say to them? He cited authority when in Exodus chapter 3, excuse me, Exodus chapter 4 and verse 1, he said, they will not believe, listen to me. And he even cited his lack of ability in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 10 when he said, I am not eloquent of speech. Every one of those excuses that Moses offered communicated the same thing. They communicated that Moses lacked the skill or the ability to lead this exodus. This is a, I can't do that mask. It's the mask we wear when we're trying to avoid responsibility. It's the mask we wear when we don't want to step outside of our comfort zone. It's the mask we wear when we choose to be spiritually lazy. And let's be honest, some of us are wearing this mask right now. And we choose not to take on responsibility. And we choose not to be involved. We choose not to participate. And we do so by wearing this mask. But this isn't the only mask you're going to find in Scripture. There's also the mask of righteousness. This is the mask Ananias and Sapphira wore. You can read their story in the first 11 verses of chapter 5 of Acts. Ananias and Sapphira are members of the church in Jerusalem in the first century who, according to Acts chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, sold a piece of property, kept some of the proceeds for themselves, and brought a part of the proceeds and laid it at the apostles' feet. At first glance, there's nothing wrong with the decision this couple made here. They fulfilled Paul's instructions from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, where we're instructed to give purposely, to, to give as we have decided in our heart, to give hairily, to not be reluctant or under compulsion, and to give cheerfully because God loves a cheerful giver. They're fulfilling every aspect of that. But as the story unfolds, we come to the conclusion that when they gave a portion of the proceeds to the church, they pretended like they were giving the church all of the proceeds from the sale of that property. They are hiding the fact that they kept some of the proceeds from themselves by making it sound like 
they're giving the entire profit to the church. And you know why they're doing that? Because if you skip back to the end of Acts chapter 4, towards the end of Acts chapter 4, there's a description of the activities of the church right there regarding its benevolence. And we're told, Acts chapter 4, verse 34, that a lot of people in the first century who were owners of lands or houses them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. One of those individuals is a guy named Barnabas who gets uh, special mention in verse uh, 36 and 37 of Acts chapter 4. And they want the recognition these guys are getting. They want to be looked at as so righteous and so sacrificial and so benevolent because everybody else has been viewed that way. Well, they want to keep some of the money for themselves, want the recognition that comes with giving all of it up. And so they don a mask of righteousness. This is the look at how good I am mask. This is the mask we wear when we want to appear more godly than we really are. It's the mask we sometimes put on when we want to justify or overcompensate for the sin that still reigns in our lives. It's a mask we wear because we're more concerned about how we look than who we are. And some of us are wearing this mask even today. The fourth mask we need to address. It's the mask of spirituality. Now that might sound very similar to the mask of righteousness, righteousness, but there's a little bit of a difference here. I think this is the mask that Martha was wearing when Jesus came to visit her and Mary after learning of Lazarus' death. Over in John chapter 11... Jesus arrived in Bethany, and Martha was the first of Lazarus' sisters to greet him. And there's a conversation that unfolds between her and Jesus in John chapter 11, verses 21 through 27. If you'll turn there, you can read it with me very quickly. John chapter 11, verse 21 through 27. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. In verse 23, Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Then in verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am in life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And Martha responded there in verse 27, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When you read that conversation, you're proud of Martha. Here is this woman who's grieving the loss of her brother, and yet she says all the right things here. She states her belief that Jesus could have healed Lazarus, she states her belief in the resurrection of the dead. She even states her belief that Jesus is the Son of God. She makes the great confession here while she's grieving. Martha is saying all the right things that a good, faithful believer should say in moments like this. But that doesn't mean that Martha's faith is rock solid. Because if you skip in this chapter to verse 39 and 40, look at what happens when Jesus arrives at Lazarus' tomb. Jesus said, take away the stone. 
Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? See, Martha may have had all the right answers. She may have been able to compose a theological essay. She may have been able to communicate biblical truths that others couldn't comprehend. But when it came time to put her faith into practice, she balked. Because to some degree, she was wearing the mask of spirituality. See, this is the hide-behind-my-answers mask. It's the mask we wear when we want our faith to appear deep. It's the mask we wear when we want people to think that we're spiritually more mature than we really are. It's the mask we wear when we don't want people to know that we're dealing with fear or doubts or any other form of perceived spiritual weakness. And some of us are wearing this mask today. Oh, we can answer questions raised in Bible class, and we can say the right things as we walk down the aisles and shake hands with people, and and we can sing the songs, and we can bow our heads in the prayers, but deep down, our spirit is aching, and there are some things we're struggling with on this journey of faith we're all on, and we put on the mask, and we keep going. But there are some of us who have a totally different mask, and it's the mask of okayness. The mask of, I'm fine. Everything's fine. I believe this is the mask the woman at the well was wearing when Jesus asked her to draw him some water in John chapter 4. One of the most important details of that interaction is the fact that this woman encountered Jesus at Jacob's well when she came to draw water at the sixth hour there in John chapter 4 and verse 6. The sixth hour, as has been noted in previous sermons, is the equivalent of noon. Typically, women were more likely to come in groups to fetch water, either early in the morning or late in the day when the heat of the sun was not so fierce. The fact that this woman came to draw water at noon, when she was most likely to be the only woman there, implies that she is a social outcast. And when Jesus asks her to draw him some water, the mask of okayness immediately goes up as she deflects attention onto the social awkwardness of their interaction. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? She rhetorically asked in verse 9. It's as if she doesn't want on to the fact that she came to the well at this time to avoid everybody else. And Jesus indicated in their conversation that he had access to water that will perpetually quench thirst. She asked for him to give her that water, and that's when he instructed her to go call your husband and come here. And the mask of okayness goes on again. Because she responds to Jesus' direction to fetch her husband by saying, I have no husband. She tries to act like her life is normal. But the truth is, she's had five husbands, and the guy she's currently with isn't her husband. And it's at this point she appeals to that mask one last time to deflect attention away from her relationship status. She poses a theological question about the correct place of worship, which inevitably leads Jesus to reveal his true self as the Messiah. 
in order to get her to finally shed her mask. And it's then, when Jesus has revealed his true identity, that she goes into town and testifies to him. It's then that the mask finally comes off. See, she's wearing the everything is fine mask. It's the mask we wear when we want people to believe that our lives are problemless. This is the mask we wear to hide our personal struggles and our difficulties and our baggage and our past. This is the mask we wear because we assume that the Christian's life is supposed to be perfect. And since our life is imperfect, then we, we must not be a good Christian. And we don't want people to know that. So we've got to put on the mask. And some of us today are wearing the mask of okayness. We might have driven here with our kids fighting in the back seat, but as we get out of the car, everything's fine. Put on the smile, and when people ask you how you're doing, you've got to say, I'm fine. There's no other thing I can say, but I am fine. I can't be honest. You may have driven here with your spouse, and you weren't even speaking to each other because you're still in an argument, and you're still mad at each other. But as soon as you get out of that car, everything's fine. I'm going to put my smile. I'm going to don the mask and act like everything's okay. See, there's a bunch of masks we could be wearing right now. A bunch of masks that people have tried to wear throughout the history of God's people. But the one thing you really need to know is that God sees past the masks, disguises, and fronts that we use to hide our true selves. God always sees past the masks, the disguises, and the fronts that we use to hide our true selves. You may be able to pull one over on other Christians, convincing them you're unaware, or you're inept, or you're righteous, or you're spiritual, or you're okay, but you'll never be able to fool God because God sees everything. God is omniscient. That means He knows everything and He sees everything. Just listen to these verses. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 24. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? What about this one? Luke chapter 2 verse 2 and 3. Jesus said, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. And then reverting to our scripture reading from earlier, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. Let me repeat that. No creature is hidden from from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. There's nothing God can't see. You know, I've come to a greater God's ability to see all things ever since I installed ring cameras around my house. A great many of you have security cameras at your house because they've gotten so much less expensive and so much easier to install and run. And there's amazing things that you'll pick up on these cameras. 
if y'all play this clip, like you'll pick up your daughter who's standing here, face planting in the as soon as that can play. Give it just a second. Bam! And you'll pick up your children having accidents like that. It's a wonderful thing. You'll even pick up some of the, the cute things that happen, as this next portion will show, when your littlest is playing hide and seek herself with a pile of blankets in the foyer, with your dog watching on. You'll pick up the cuteness. You'll also pick up your spouse running into things as they back out of the garage. And just for you, Ben, you'll even pick up yourself making a fool of yourself. Enjoy this. Yep. Y'all can go ahead and click on to the next. There we go. With cameras around your house, you pick up all these things you would never see before. And it makes me realize that's how God sees the world. There's nothing he misses. There's nothing he doesn't see. There's nothing you can hide. He is the God who sees which is a title Hagar gave to him in Genesis chapter 16 and verse 13 when he found her, in a sense, hiding by a spring in the wilderness because she had just been excommunicated from the family by Sarai. There's nothing God can't see. No matter what mask we wear, no matter what disguise we put on, no matter what front we put up, God's going to see past it. And so ask yourself today, what does God see when he looks at me? And I encourage you to respond accordingly. Maybe he still sees your sin. And those sins need to be removed. If you will confess that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God, Repent of those sins and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of those sins. It can be washed away. Maybe he sees the things you're struggling with that you keep secret from us. Maybe it's time to share the burdens and allow us to help carry that load. To allow us to go to him on your behalf in prayer. Maybe he sees the masks that you're wearing and the ways in which you're not living the life he's called you to, and it's time to change things. Whatever your need might be, now is an invitation to take off the mask knowing that God sees everything. Won't you come while together we stand and sing?